Ephesians chapter 4, and let's finish this chapter and ask the Lord to leave it in our hearts for the time to come that we might be faithful in all these things. The first verse of Ephesians 4 is the, our brother Paul beseeching the Ephesians and us indirectly that we would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. That vocation is to be a son of God, and we should walk worthy of it. We looked at the first 16 verses before our break, and they dealt with the purpose of the church and the importance of unity in us all being united of one heart, one soul, one mind, and we do that through all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, and forbearing. You can only show meekness, long-suffering, and forbearing when something does someone against you. You cannot practice those verses we looked at when everyone is treating you well. When everyone is treating you well, you love those times. And you think that everything is great. But at those times, you cannot practice these things. You must look for and wait for the opportunity. The opportunity when someone wrongs you or hurts you. Then you can do something that's pleasing to God. That you are pleasant and cheerful with those who are pleasant and cheerful and kind to you proves nothing. Can you be pleasant and cheerful and kind when someone has hurt your feelings. And so we saw that in the first 16 verses, that if we're to build this church, we can build it from the inside out by every joint and every part doing its role, fulfilling its role and working to be effectual. Some of you are not comfortable with other people. So you stand aside. You sit aside. You wander away from the group. You avoid doing things with the rest of us because you don't feel comfortable. The Lord doesn't really care about your comfort zone. There are other things that others who may mingle better have just as severe as struggles with. And the Lord doesn't care about that either, except that He wants them to make the effort to do it. And by His grace and through Jesus Christ, we all can do what the Bible asks us to do. If you are in a habit of sticking somewhat by yourself, you will continue that habit unless you put it off and put on the new man. The new man loves every other one in this assembly with his whole heart. And so now we come to verses 17 through 32, and it's going to talk about us putting off an old way of living and putting on a new way. And there's not a person in here that can think themselves clothed properly yet. This is a lifelong process of putting off the old man to put on the new. Verses 17 through 19. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That was one sentence. This one sentence is one of the most condemning indictments of the human race in the whole Bible. Did you hear those different clauses and phrases? Now think of that one sentence in the light of statements made about the dignity of humanity, the goodness of all men, the value of the human spirit. Do you know what my answer is to all of that? That one sentence. That one sentence describes the putrefying, profane, rebellious, arrogant, ignorant fools that man is by nature. And the God of heaven is incensed at it, and he says he does not want us, his children, to act like the neighbor children. Do not walk like other Gentiles walk. 
This is the God of heaven. Notice the therefore in verse 17. What is that therefore connected to? It is again connected back to chapters 1, 2, and 3. Because he gave the purpose and goals of the church as a therefore to chapters 1 through 3. And now he's given our holy character as a therefore to chapters 1 through 3. Because of what God's done for us, we ought to live holy lives. And we should look differently than those around us. How many fathers have told their children as they go out the door to school, I don't care what the other kids do. You're not going to do that. That is wrong, and you shouldn't do that. I want you to be different than them. This is the God of heaven saying, I have adopted you to be my children. I want you to be different from the rest of the world. That ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, and then it goes on to describe the terrible condition of the human family. I get sick when I hear about the dignity of humanity, or the value, or preciousness. Let's look at the Word of God and what it has to say. That one sentence from verse 17 through 19 is a terrible statement about our condition. And so the apostle says, this I say, therefore, and what I'm saying is not just my opinion. I'm testifying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am exhorting you by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that for you to be like him, you must be different from the rest of this world. The rest of this world thinks in the vanity of their mind. Vanity means worthlessness, profitlessness, emptiness of their minds. Everything they think up comes from a vacuum of nothing. And they think up some of the craziest things. They think sodomy is the gay lifestyle. Gay? That's the vanity of their mind. They are puffed up in their thoughts rather than humbling themselves before the thoughts of God. The comparable passage to this is Romans chapter 1, verses 18, all the way down to 32, where God says when men get puffed up in their own minds and think themselves wise, He hardens their hearts, blinds them, and gives them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Two men having sex is not convenient. And that's the main illustration that God gives of what He does to men when they get puffed up in their thoughts and are not thankful and do not worship and serve the God of heaven. You do not have to wonder, let's use their euphemism, where homosexuality comes from. It is a judgment of God upon men who think that their thoughts are valuable and who are not thankful to the God of heaven that created them. If you go read Romans chapter 1, God has revealed Himself in His creation so that men are without excuse. He has made it plain enough. But when they defy Him and choose evolution as the reason and the basis and the source of their origin, He gives them over to a reprobate mind to do unnatural, perverse abominations with one another. To receive in themselves a reward that is meat for the choice they made. And as disgusting and as abominable as the acts of sodomites are, God says that it's an appropriate reward for the way they have treated Him and the wisdom He revealed to them. Amen. When it goes on in verse 18 of Ephesians 4 to say, having the understanding darkened, that is not the same as darkening the understanding. When it says having the understanding darkened, that is a passive voice construction, right. meaning that someone else is doing the darkening. And I'll tell you who does the darkening. It's the God of heaven. When you defy His commandments, He will blind you. He will harden your heart. Can you think of an example of God hardening the heart of a man? Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Do you know what God said? Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. God is able to use men that way because we have defied Him. And He is the blessed God. He is the potter. And we are the clay. He can use us any way that He chooses. And that's how He chose to use Pharaoh. God does harden hearts. God told Moses, Even though I send my angel through Egypt tonight to kill the firstborn, 
I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will follow after you and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all of his host. And he did. Don't you love the story of the Red Sea? Israel's on one shore, scared. Those poor people didn't have very much faith. But God had it for them. Pharaoh had all the faith in the world, didn't he? He rode right down into the Red Sea. But his faith was on the wheels of his chariot. And it didn't last long, did it? He took the wheels off. Have you ever seen a chariot without wheels? It doesn't move very well. And it says that Pharaoh drove his horses furiously. Do you know why? Because all of a sudden the water on both sides started to look unstable. Because my God and your God, Jehovah of the Bible, was getting him honor upon the whole army of the Egyptians because they had abused his people. We are the people of God and we need not fear any man. And we especially do not need to fear this world that comes up with all their ideas and say that we are outdated, antiquated, Neanderthal, anachronistic idiots. Because look what God says about their brain power. It is the vanity of their mind. Their understanding has been darkened by Him. They are alienated from the life. They're aliens from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, they are in such terrible shape that they're past feeling, and they've given themselves over to lasciviousness and to work all uncleanness with greediness. Not only, not only do they sin with lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? Unbridled lust. Doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it. Not only do they give themselves over to that so that they become addicted and obsessed by those things, they give themselves over to all uncleanness. And we've got it today. We've got it today. Do you know that there are laws being passed right now against bestiality? I will not elaborate. Some of you don't think that I guard myself in the pulpit. You're wrong. You don't know what I'd like to say. There are laws being passed right now against bestiality in Great Britain and in this country. And do you know why they're being passed? To protect the animals. If you don't believe me, I'll send you the articles. Is that nauseating to you? That is the vanity of their mind. If you go to college long enough, you'll think that there ought to be laws passed against men having sex with animals in order to protect the animals from a psychological harm. The vanity of their mind. Then, it says they do it with all greediness. They want to enforce that on the rest of us that we have to accept them. They don't want any limits to what they can do. And they sell themselves to do it. Not only do they sin, they fall into it once in a while. These people don't fall into sin. They give themselves over to it. Who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. They are totally sold out and committed to doing whatever they want. And isn't that the mantra mantra of our society? If it feels good, do it. And they do it with greediness. They're craving it. They're hungry for it. They're rebellious. They will not be bound by anyone. Now, that's the Lord. This is not Jonathan Crosby. I did not write that sentence. This is the Lord God of heaven whom I represent. This is the Lord Jesus Christ and what he says to describe the condition of the rest of the world. This is our, this is your neighbor. You say, my neighbor gives to UNICEF. So what? Are you kidding me? Does that change your mind about your neighbor because he gives to UNICEF? Of course they give to each other's little projects and programs so that they can be accepted and get a promotion on the job. Anybody who's ever worked in an office knows why people give to United Way. It's because their manager came and told them that if they didn't, they can expect not to get promoted. We're all doing this, Johnny. Aren't you going to participate with us? Now, that isn't doing it out of love for your neighbor. That's doing it out of love for yourself to get ahead in the job. Don't you get misled. This is the Word of God. What I just read to you in those three verses, while it's terrible, is an accurate description of our race. And do you know what the whole verse is there for? 
from henceforth, do not walk like them. Be totally different. That means we have to be disciplined. Kids, well, I feel like doing it. Why can't my parents let me do what I feel like doing? Anthony, but I feel like doing it. Why can't my parents let me do what I feel like? You're not the only one. Alex, what are you smiling about? Why can't I do that? I like doing that. This is why your parents are the way they are. This is why our church is the way it is. Look what the Bible tells us. Don't walk that way anymore. Don't be like your neighbors. We don't like being different. We don't like saying no. Wait till your appearance. Then write us a letter. Letter after your appearance and tell your children no. And remember how hard it was for us. second half of Ephesians chapter 4 is being different. We have learned because God has punished us and we have tried to live like the world that is everything but heaven. It destroys our lives and our children. So not only has God commanded us, but he gives us, gives us lessons. And he gives us lessons that we all want you to unpack your lives and see if you can do it. Verse 20. But ye not so learn Christ. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is totally contrary to what I just read in verses 17 through 19. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is totally contrary to everything on every channel on your television. It's contrary. There's a war in this world. It's between the Lord Jesus Christ and His angels and the devil and His angels and the gospel against the vanity and ignorance and hardness of the minds and hearts of Hollywood and the rest of this profane world. There's war. We are different, but ye have not so learned Christ. Jesus Christ has taught us to be different from that. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. That is, you have learned that you are to be very different from those three verses. You have learned that if you've been taught the truth. In Jesus Christ, if you've heard him and have been taught by him, I believe that this verse, verse 21, is a practical verse, meaning that through the preaching of the gospel, because it is not my word that I'm giving you right now. It is my words coming out of my mouth and falling on your ear. But the message, the content, the real word is from the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have heard the gospel like these Ephesians had, because who had taught the Ephesians? Paul had. But he's asking them, have you really learned the truth in Jesus Christ? Because if you've really learned the truth in Jesus Christ, you're going to be different from your neighbors. You say, my neighbor is so sweet. How do you know? Because they gave you candy at Halloween? Oh, we don't celebrate that, do we? They gave you candy some other time? How are you the measure of a person's heart? How do you know how they treat their husband, their children, and the God of heaven? Well, I've seen them pray before. How do you know they weren't praying to Buddha? She wears a cross around her neck. How's that religious? That's a curse. We need to be different from our neighbors, and we need to help each other stand to be a holy church. That's what God thinks about your neighbors. I think that about your neighbors because God told me to think that way about your neighbors because that's the way he thinks about your neighbors. And if you're wise, you'll think that way about your neighbors. Let's talk about your neighbors. It doesn't matter whether your neighbors vote Republican or Democrat. 
they want to put you in jail if you were to drown a few little extra kittens because you didn't want to see them suffer in the world because there wasn't a home for them. They want to put you in jail for taking away the life of some little kittens. But they will defend with the force of all our courts and our prisons the right for doctors to go inside a woman and take apart a baby piece by piece and limb by limb. They go inside a mother with a little baby with a pair of forceps and rip its little arms off while that little baby has been caught on film rushing to the other end of the womb to get away from that intruding device that is in its safe little home. Then they will insert a vacuum cleaner. Tuck that little baby apart piece by piece. You bet. That is your neighbor. They'll vote for the right for sodomites. Maybe you need your daddy to explain to you what sodomites do. For you to understand the horror of that profane abomination. And we could go on and on. We have not so learned Christ because we've heard Him and we've been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. And here's what we ought to do because of the truth that we've been taught. Verse 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That word conversation in verse 22 does not mean talking to somebody. It means lifestyle. Yes, sometimes we have to bring you up to date because you're not familiar with the older English words and how they were used. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old lifestyle that you had. We had a young man get up here and read that it ought to suffice you to have lived the life of the Gentiles and the lust of the Gentiles in the past. Do you know what suffice means? To be... To, to be full or satisfied. You should be satisfied that you've already wasted a bunch of years living the life of the Gentiles. So we want to put off that old lifestyle. We want to get rid of it. And I am not going to get you distracted right now by talking about the vital nature that God gives us in regeneration other than these few words. There's, I hope there's a message for my madness. God in regeneration gives us a new nature. That new nature inside us is a new creature. God creates it by His spoken voice. It's part of being born again. It loves righteousness. It loves God. It hates sin. It hates the world. It always wants to do what's right. It always wants to work hard, tell the truth, and love its neighbor. But we have an old nature as well that's in our flesh. And that old nature wants to fulfill our lusts. It wants to do everything wrong and it hates God. And we have those two natures. But that's all I want to say about that because I want to make it simpler for you. This verse 22 is telling us, put off like clothes. Let's pretend that that old lifestyle is like clothes. Change. Get the old clothes off and throw them away and put on a new set of clothes. Get rid of the old lifestyle and take up the new lifestyle. Don't look like the Gentiles. Look like Jesus Christ has taught us to look. Put off, verse 22, the former conversation, the lifestyle you used to live that is of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The old man that you have in that old sinful lifestyle is corrupt. That means it destroys you. But it says corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. What does that mean? Sin lies. Sin lies. It always lies. Sin promises things it will never give you. The best example is the strange woman in the book of Proverbs. She is beautiful. She says flattering things. She offers her warm embrace. She describes her carefully prepared bed. She guarantees no interruption. She offers love that exceeds any you've ever had before. 
This is Proverbs 6 and 7, especially the extended parable in chapter 7. And do you know what the wise man tells us four times? Hidden under the sheet. Hidden behind her hair. Hidden in the aroma of her perfume is death and hell. Four times. Death and hell. He does not know that her previous visitors are in death and hell. But when, when a man looks at a beautiful woman, when he hears her flattering words, which the Bible says are smoother than oil and butter, when he feels her warm embrace, how can there be anything wrong with that? What he doesn't see is the death and hell that's coming. That's why it's called, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Your lust lie to you, you children. If I could just do what I wanted to, I'd be happy. If you could do what you wanted to, you'd destroy yourself. Forgive my crudeness. But in the first year of your life, if we would have allowed you to do what you wanted to do, you would have eaten your own excrement. In the second year of your life, you would have wandered out into a highway thinking that you were going to play tag with moving trucks and cars. In the 16th year of your life, you think you're smart enough to pick a man to be your husband for the rest of your life. You don't have a clue about men. We all laugh at the notion that you even have one idea about men. You 60-year-old women don't know that much about men, let alone 16-year-old men. It takes a man to know a man. And that's why when a young man wants your attention, he better come to the big man in the house and ask for it. Because the big man can read the little man. And the little girl can't. She just thinks, oh, Johnny loves me. Johnny's going to take me for a ride. Johnny cares about me. Johnny listens to me. Johnny's so easy to talk to. You know, I've heard all this drivel. All of that ridiculous drivel, it has never been true one time in the history of the world. Get married to Johnny and let him have you for about six days, and then we'll see how much he likes listening to you. Even the world has to sing the song, Will he still love me tomorrow? I love every single one of you, and I'm fighting for your defense and for your happy lives. I can give you the list of those who didn't listen to this kind of a warning and the trouble that they paid. Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Of course, sin looks good. I've never lied to you, have I, about that? Sin looks awesome. Sin looks exciting. The Bible says it's called the pleasures of sin, but it does add on a little prepositional phrase. For a season. And then it's gone, and then what's staring you in the face? Death and hell. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That means get a new mind. Because you're born again, you can choose to get a new mind. I am not going to live the old way. I'm going to live a new way for the glory of my Savior who loved me and gave Himself for me, who's sitting on the throne of glory, and He's about to come to judge that world. I want to be found in righteousness when He comes. That's a renewed mind. You can choose to renew your mind once you're born again. I'm not going to live the old way. I'm going to live a new way. So then you put on the new man. You get a new set of clothes. It's, It's describing apparel. You put something on. You put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I'm going to live a righteous life. I'm going to live in true holiness. Listen, the world has nothing. The world knows nothing. It can't offer you anything. Where do you think, guy, where do you think love came from? Do you think Hollywood invented it? If Hollywood invented it, why are most of them drug addicts or drunkards and they're all divorced multiple times. They obviously don't know a thing about love. You know, I'll tell, I'll tell you about the number one artist, recording artist in the last 40 years that has sung about love. His name is Elton John. Do you know what Elton John thinks is love? I can't tell you. It's what he does at home with Daniel. 
I'll tell you where love came from. It came from the God of heaven who loved us enough to adopt us out of this depraved human race by the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. Elton John. Do you know, I can't tell you what he thinks about love because I'd get run out of my own church. That's a problem in this church. But you're all with me, aren't you? I don't have to say anything, do I? Elton John. Do you know why he sang the eulogy at Princess Diana's funeral? Because birds of a feather flock together. She was the greatest whore in the British Isles. And he was the biggest faggot. So the two of them together made a fantastic team for that funeral. But I want to tell you something. When I look at pictures of Princess Diana in some of her hats, my flesh lies to me and says, what a beautiful woman. See, I always tell you the truth. Lord helping me. And some of you know, you look at a picture book where they've taken pictures of Princess Diana. She is presented in a way for you to admire her. But she was the most published whore and slut in the British Isles. And everyone knows it. But no one wants to talk about it. What does all of that to do with this? We want to put off that kind of a lifestyle and put on a new one that we've been taught by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knows more about boys and girls, men and women, love and marriage and sex than Hollywood and anyone else combined. He invented it. And he's told you how to have the ultimate happiness with it if you would follow his word. And we want all of you to find love, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, and live happily ever after with lots of little boys and girls by the grace of God. But we're going to do it the Lord's way. Verse 25. Well, how do we put, on, put off the old man and put on the new man? You know, the apostle knew that you'd probably be a little confused about putting off the old man and putting on the new man, so we gave you some illustrations. Verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The old man lies. He exaggerates. He misrepresents things. He listens to lies. He spreads rumors. The new man doesn't do any of that. The new man loves honesty and full truthfulness. And because he recognizes that we are members of one body, how can my hand lie to my leg? That would be a dysfunctional body. Because we're all connected together into one body, we always want to tell the truth. That's the lesson. To put off the old man is to get rid of anything that's dishonest. To put on the new man is to be utterly true in everything you do. The truer you are, the more people will trust you. Young people, I will tell you a secret. And even though your parents hear me, and even if they might want to try to override this, they cannot. If you want more freedom, if you want more freedom in your home and more liberties, let your parents trust you by always doing what is right and telling the truth. Right. Once you lie or deceive or hide from your parents, we can't trust you. You have broken the relationship of where we ought to be members one of another. You've messed it up. Tell the truth. For those of you that went last night, the pastor of that church down there, and I used to be bond traders for Michigan National Bank of Detroit. Michigan National Bank of Detroit, all the way up to the board of directors, did not know about bond trading. They did not know anything about it. They gave two little boys. Yes, because we were in our 20s. We were called little boys and we should have been, though I had four children. There were two little boys that were given unlimited access to the funds of Michigan National Bank of Detroit to trade it in any way that they deemed fit for the profits of that bank. And when they were warned by federal auditors that there ought to be a policy governing those traders, they said, we'll let you two write the policy. This is a true story. This is bizarre, and it's foolish. 
But it was a bank that didn't know better. But I'll tell you one thing. They were very safe. Do you know why they were safe? Because we had always been honest with them. And I hardly ever tell you stories like this. But I want to tell you that once you grow up and you're not thinking about more freedom at home, if you want freedom on the job and privileges on the job, it's earned by honesty and integrity. They knew that we would do anything more than any other two people in that bank for the profits of that bank. Even if we were capable of taking them into the gutter. And we were. But we were careful and we were honest. And men trust honesty. And I'm, I just use that little illustration to provoke you to think about verse 25, about putting away lying and always speaking the truth. Every time I hear about any one of you that getting a new job and you're given the keys to the store or the keys to the safe or the account, the bank account where you can go make deposits, every time I hear that, it is music to my ears. Because I know a master has made a choice based on your honesty and integrity. That is good work. That's the new man. Verse 26. Be angry and sin not. The first thing was our lips in verse 25. Now it's our passions in verse 26. Be angry and sin not. If you get angry, don't do anything wrong. If you get angry, don't do anything wrong. Because you know, once you're angry, you're out of control. There's no thinking in anger. It's reacting. And God knows that's dangerous. So he says, if you get angry, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't let things provoke us. But if you do get angry, don't do anything wrong, don't sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Purge it out. Get over the issue as quickly as you can. Because if you hold anger, it turns into bitterness, and bitterness turns into revenge, and pretty soon we've got a serious problem in the house of God. The old way is anger is cool. Anger is strength. Anger's a real man. A man who blows up, loses control, screams, shouts, and throws things. What a stud. Are you kidding? He's an infant. The Bible says he's an infant. He can't rule his own spirit. He, He does not belong in any position of authority or responsibility anywhere at any time. Because he is an out of control accident looking for a place to happen. Anger is terrible. The world allows it, promotes it, excuses it. We can't do it. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. When you get up in the morning, it better be all gone. Neither give place to the devil. And you know I'm a slave to context. I wonder why verse 27 is right there after verse 26 and I don't get a period in between the two verses. Have you, do you notice that? Do you have a period in your Bible at the end of 26? No? What is it? Colon? What is that there for? Because when you get angry, you give huge place to the devil. Because when you get angry, your lusts have taken over. Your emotions have taken over. You're now reacting, and the devil has a free, has a free source. When you're angry, you're not going to hold up the shield of faith and quench his fiery darts. When you're angry, you're going to forget complete and accurate honesty. You're going to let things slide. You're going to compromise because you're angry. You're not thinking. You're just reacting. And so I enjoy the connection there between 26 and 27. I believe the Holy Spirit is telling us that first, don't be angry in sin. Get rid of anger as soon as you can because it gives great place to the devil. When we're angry at someone, we'll misrepresent them. When we're angry at someone, we will think about revenge. We'll whisper. We'll backbite about them. We will allow those things to be done about them. And here the Word of God is warning us against it. You give place to the devil by giving him a toehold in your life. How did Lot give a toehold to the devil? Pitched his tent toward Sodom. And eventually ended up in the city, eventually destroying his whole family. But it sure looked good, didn't it? Did it tell us that Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the well-watered plains of Jordan? It sure looked good, didn't it? but he gave a place to the devil. David was one night in bed. I don't know if you have read 2 Samuel 11 close as you should. David was in bed. Oh, where should he have been? He should have been on the battlefield. Second, he was in bed. Did he have any women to keep him company? He had all that was 160 yards long with a bedroom door every 15 feet. His wives. He got up off his bed 
when he was bored, when he should have been in the battlefield and went for a stroll and it got himself in trouble. There's a context in our Bibles. Give no place to the devil. I believe that applies to everything, but the close connection to verse 26 tells us we certainly give him place when we get angry. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more. You know, some of these Ephesians might have been thieves in the past. Let him that stole in the past steal no more. That's putting off the old man, putting on the new man. You say, well, I'd never steal anything. When was the last time you brought pencils from work home for your kids to take to school? When was the last time you used the copy machine at the office to do personal things for yourself? When was the last time, or when was the last week when you averaged 15 minutes a day on personal phone calls to your family or friends? What's that called in the Bible? I need that word that starts with P. Purloining. I love it. One of the forgotten sins. Nobody even knows about it anymore. It's called purloining in the Bible, and we're told not to do it. That's the old lifestyle. The new lifestyle is to have perfect integrity with your master and not to do that. Purloining is taking small things, small thefts. The Bible addresses it. Of course, it's not preached anymore. Oh, just overlook that. That doesn't matter. We don't care. Even if the master says he doesn't care, that still means it's something for you to consider. Let him that stole steal no more. What should a thief do? Rather, let him labor. Why do men steal? They're lazy and they're envious. There's only two causes for stealing. They don't want to go work and earn it, and they're envious because somebody else has things better than they have. So they go steal it. And the Bible says, if you want something, go labor for it. Let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good. Instead of using his hands to pick a lock, use his hands to labor and do something that is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. I love that verse. Amen. Now, this is the religion of Jesus Christ. The thief is the most selfish creature on earth. He thinks it's wrong for anyone else to have something, so he's going to go steal it. After that man worked hard to get it, he's going to steal it to take it home for himself. That's the world's thinking. That's the vanity of their mind and the ignorance that is in them, being alienated from the life of God and giving themselves over to all lasciviousness and all uncleanness with greediness. But what does a Christian do? He goes to work to work hard, not for himself, but to be able to give to others. Praise the Lord. What a changed life. Look at that. Why does this man labor with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth? Every one of you that are born of God, I hope that tomorrow morning when you answer that alarm clock, you hit the deck, you throw the water in your face, you get dressed, you go off to work. And when you're there at work, you're realizing, I want to work as hard as I can to earn not just for my family, but also to be able to give to others in their time of need. Right. Do you see how that is so far the opposite of a thief? A thief takes what someone else has worked hard to get to have it for himself because he's so selfish. And a Christian works so hard himself in order to be able to give to others who are unable to work. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. That's the true religion of Jesus Christ. Verse 29, back to our mouths. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. No corrupt communication. Nothing corrosive. Nothing sarcastic. Nothing hurtful. Nothing painful. Nothing dishonest. Nothing damaging to another's reputation. No corrupt communication come out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying. Only say those things that would build other people up. You know what's been said by mothers to their children for a long time and school teachers to their pupils? If you can't say anything nice, then don't say anything at all. That sounds like an interpretation of this verse. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. What kind of edifying? That it may minister grace unto the hearers. Oh, brethren, can we get rid of all corrupt communication, anything filthy, anything foolish, anything jesting, anything hurtful, anything damaging to others, and let it be words that build each other up, encourage each other, comfort each other, and administer administer grace to each other, that we are a church abounding in grace, the grace of God and His loving kindness toward us, because we share that with each other through our lips. This is the true religion of Jesus Christ, and this is what it means to put off the old man and to put on the new man. 
change your way of talking. Verse 25 was to get rid of lying and to be honest. Verse 26 was to get rid of anger. Verse 27 is not to give the devil any place, especially with anger. Verse 28 is to work hard to be able to give to others that cannot work. Verse 29 is to get rid of all corrupt communication and build each other up with your speech. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. When you use corrupt communication, the Holy Spirit hears it and is grieved. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is God himself. And when he hears his children using corrupt speech, it grieves him. When he sees them stealing, even if it's a small matter, it grieves him. When they're angry and they sin in their anger, it grieves him. God the Holy Spirit is grieved, and we are sealed by that Spirit till the day of our resurrection into heaven. And when God is grieved against you, when he has been hurt by your conduct, and he is disappointed and angry with what you have done, the Holy Spirit then is no longer aiding you and helping you live the Christian life You're in trouble. Your life dries up because the Holy Spirit isn't there filling you full of the oil of the Holy Ghost and His strength and His comfort and His joy and His peace. Look at this. When we put off the old man and put on the new man, we don't give place to the devil. That's verse 27. And we keep the Holy Spirit from being grieved. That's verse 30. If you try to go back to the old life, you give the devil a place in your life. And you grieve the Holy Spirit. Is that a pretty dramatic switch? Would you call that a reversal of fortune when you make that choice? Not only do you grieve the Holy Spirit, you let the devil in. Instead of being animated, motivated, directed, and led by the Spirit of God, you're now being led by the flesh and the devil because you've given him a place in your life. This is horrible. This is horrible news for us to go back and put on the old way of living and the way that the world recommends and the way the world approves. We want to put all that off and put on righteousness. Because when we put on righteousness, we have the Holy Spirit leading our lives and filling us with joy and all the strength and power of the Holy Ghost. And the devil has no place. It's called the breastplate of righteousness. If I have a breastplate on, can you hit my vital organs? No, I'm covered and protected by righteousness. The devil can't get at me. That's what Ephesians 6 is going to teach us. How do we do this? We do not live like our neighbors. We live like the Bible tells us to live. That's how we do it. Verse 31 and 32. Look at, let all bitterness. Why is he saying that? And wrath and anger. Hasn't he already mentioned these things? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. Clamor is loud outcries of disagreement and complaining. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That is the old man. Everything in verse 31 is the old man. Everything in verse 32 is the new man. Let all those things disappear. Bitterness. What are you bitter about? Who are you bitter at? Get rid of it. Do you know what bitterness is? Stored up resentment for some little offense in the past. You say, well, what if mine's a big offense? There is no such thing in life. There is no such thing in life. What are you talking about? There isn't anything that anyone can do to you in this world that is a big offense. Bitterness is stored up resentment for past little offenses. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, whispering, backbiting, false accusing, slandering, Foolishness, jesting, be put away from you with all malice. Malice is the intent to hurt someone else. Bitterness has usually got the intent to hurt someone else. Wrath usually has the intent to hurt someone else to get back. So with anger, so with clamor. There's an evil intent. Get rid of all that stuff. Let's not have any of it. Not at home, not at work, not at play, not in church. And then verse 32 is what he wants us to be. And be ye kind. One to another. We're not kind as a church. It's really impossible for a church to be kind. Kindness happens one act at a time between two people, one to another. And that is the emphasis of the New Testament. Do you remember a Bible study that some pastor that you had led called one another? One another. And how many times that combination of words is in the Bible? 
Because Christianity is a religion of one person toward each other person. One another. Be ye kind one to another. You can't be kind in general. You have to be kind to specific people. Tender-hearted. Not hard-hearted. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. And here's the standard. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Do you think that there is anyone in here that has wronged you even close to how you have wronged the God of heaven? The God of heaven has forgiven us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is the standard of how we ought to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another. There aren't exceptions. It doesn't need explanation. It doesn't need modification. We are to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving as God is kind. Do you know what it's called in the Bible? Is God kind? It's called His loving kindnesses. Every day, His loving kindnesses are all around us. Yes. It's not just kind. You know, that's four letters in the middle of that word I just gave you. They're called loving kindnesses. Because there's not just one of them. There's a whole lot of them. And they're very loving. Do you believe that about the God of heaven? Amen. Then let's be that way toward one another. Right. How about tender-hearted? Is God tender-hearted? His tender mercies are over all His works. He's very tender-hearted. How about forgiving? Has God forgiven us? Unbelievably so. And you know what? He still forgives me every day. How could I ever hold any of you accountable if you were to offend me every day? Because I'll tell you a secret. He forgives me every day. May God bless us to remember today's teaching from Ephesians 4 and to walk worthy of the vocation with which we've been called. May Jesus Christ himself by his spirit bless the preaching of his word. Yes.